So good morning to you. So good to see so many friendly faces here this morning. I appreciate you being here. Hi, Maple. Great to see all of you here today. February 3rd, 1959. February 3rd, 1959. American rock and roll musicians, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the big bopper, J.P. Richardson, were tragically killed in a plane crash in Iowa. It later became known as the day the music died. Because a few years later in 1971, singer-songwriter Don McLean referred to that tragic event with that line, the day the music died. In the song, American Pie, I'm sorry, I just always have to do that. (laughs) Bye-bye, American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. And later on, he uses that phrase, the day the music died. So I want you to imagine with me, as difficult as it may be, just imagine, just humor me for a moment, that there really was no more music. That we live in a world without music. No music, no Beethoven, no Mozart, no Elvis Presley, no Adele, no Simon and Garfunkel, no Taylor Swift, no One Direction, my favorite, no Tommy James and the Shondells. (laughs) There'd be no Amazing Grace to sing. There'd be no Star Spangled Banner. There'd be no little happy birthday song at our birthdays. And I know you're sitting there thinking, because I've also seen it in your expressions, that that would be incomprehensible. That would be so depressing to Donna or to Gwen or to Steve or to Stephen or to Christiane. That would be beyond depressing, imagining a world in which there is no music. It was Friday. There was one individual who was teaching, he was praying. He was showing concern for his fellow man and woman. He was serving. He was truly humbled by the events of the day. But then there was this group that was totally focused on scheming, on plotting, on betrayal. And the elite religious leaders of the day had a singular agenda for that Friday, a singular agenda. And it's described in Matthew 27. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans on how to have Jesus executed. That was their agenda. Execute Jesus. Let's be done with him. Let's no longer have to worry about what he's teaching and sharing. Let's just silence his voice forever. And in Matthew In Luke 23, we see that not only were they committed to this, but they were also equally committed to making sure that they could cause an enormous frenzy with the crowds. Pilate even gave them the opportunity to let Jesus be released based on their response. And it says, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. And their shouts Prevailed. As Stephen was talking about our singing this morning, I was wondering, will our singing prevail? 
Will our message prevail? Will our thoughts and our lifestyle prevail? They succeeded on that Friday. And in these dark words, I'm not sure that they are not the darkest words recorded in Scripture. In Matthew 27, listen to this. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Maybe the darkest words ever written. He gave up his spirit. And so I would suggest to you that if these were, and just imagine with me again, imagine that these are the last words ever recorded in Scripture about Jesus. That it ends right there in Matthew 27, 50. Cold ends right there. He gave up his spirit. I would say to you that not only would we have the right, but the world would have the right to look back at that Friday and rightly say the day hope died. It died right there on that cross. The day hope died. And if you think for a moment that a world without music is incomprehensible, you cannot even begin to describe what this world would be like without hope. And I'm not talking about the kind of hope that says, well, I hope that it's warmer tomorrow, or I hope the Thunder win more games next year. I'm talking about a hope based in eternity. On that Friday, hope died. Hope died. To think about a world without hope is beyond, beyond devastating. To think about just the implications of not having that kind of hope that we celebrate today. Just think. The first thing I'd say is, what are you doing here? You've just wasted some time being here. Why are you even trying to sing these songs? What are you reading this thing for? The Bible certainly wouldn't be the most read book ever in history if hope had died forever on that Friday. In fact, I want you to imagine singing this song. Stephen, come up and lead this. And I want you to follow the song leader. There's just going to be one verse of this song. And I want you to think about what you're singing here. And I want you to imagine that this is the only thing that we would sing in this song, Low in the Grave He Lay. Join Stephen with singing. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my That'd be pretty depressing, wouldn't it? You sang it just right. There is nothing exciting about those words. There's really nothing to celebrate about those words. You sang it with the right kind of fervor or lack of fervor, if you will. Still in the grave, still waiting. Centuries later, still in the grave, still waiting. Satan must have just been beaming his crowning achievement to silence Jesus to crush the spirit of his followers 
It had come together. His plan was working. But Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming. You see, God's answer to man's cruelty on Friday was the celebration of the resurrection on Sunday. God was not caught off guard. He was not surprised by what had happened. He knew from the very beginning what was going to be taking place. And he knew that the power of the resurrection would make all the difference in the world. And so when Mary Magdalene and Mary showed up as Randy read at the tomb that day and the angel said, he is not here, he is risen. I am certain that if there's ever a time where you are glad that you did not see Jesus where you expected him to be, it would have been that day. Because that empty tomb fills our hearts with inexpressible joy. There's something about that empty tomb that makes all the difference. Not just today, but throughout eternity. And certainly I don't think there's any place in scripture that captures more powerfully the, the essence of re- the resurrection and how it is absolutely the cornerstone of our Christian faith. In fact, I would suggest to you that our faith, our Christian faith, rises and falls with the resurrection. If there is anything about in the life of Jesus that has been more scrutinized than his resurrection, that would be it. Because if you can disprove the resurrection, if you can take the resurrection away, then indeed we have wasted our time and being here and focusing on being a follower of his. In the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul points out what a world will look like if Jesus had not been raised again, if he was not resurrected. He would go on to say in verse 14 that our preaching and our faith would be futile, they'd be useless, He'd go on to say in verse 16 that we would be considered false witnesses. In verse 17 that we would still be in our sin. And in verse 19, of all people, we should be most pitied. You poor people for putting your hope in something as ridiculous as the resurrection. I mean, really. But then verse 20. But then verse 20. But Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. And so we read this in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That is the gospel message in a nutshell. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now I have to tell you that one of the things that always perplexed me, and I decided to even look into it and read it some more this past week, but I've always tried to figure out why do we call the Friday before Easter Good Friday. What was so good about Jesus hanging there on the cross and dying? What was so good? I know, I know. I've heard some people say, well, it was good because he was willing to sacrifice himself. And and I I wouldn't disagree with that. I would say it was probably good for us. It wasn't good for him. But it would have been good for us. 
But one thing I do know is if Sunday had not come with God's plan, then there is no way that we should call Friday, that Friday, Good Friday. There would have been nothing good about it at all. But Sunday was coming. See, the resurrection tells us three things. And it's important for us because it gives credibility to our faith. It reminds us that we are placing our faith and trust in something much greater than ourselves. The first thing that we can know about the resurrection is that God's power is on full display. God's power is being magnified. In Psalms chapter 16, verse 9 through 11, this is centuries before Jesus is coming into the world. Centuries before, and here's what the psalmist writes. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Centuries before, God is already saying, I know that my son will die. I know that he will be in a grave, but he is not going to stay there. His body will not see decay. I will not abandon him to that grave. God understood the importance of the power of the resurrection. In Romans chapter 1, Paul would talk about Jesus saying that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God. Now, if he had said by his teachings, we'd say, right. By his miracles, we would have agreed. By his humility, we would have agreed as well. By his servant heart, we would have said, absolutely. But that is not what he says. He says, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God by the power of the resurrection. By the power of the resurrection. Exclamation point for hope. God's power is on full display. It is magnified with the resurrection. The second thing we know, which is so reassuring with the resurrection, is that hope is alive and well. Amen? Amen. Hope is alive and well. Listen to what Peter says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given us new birth into a living hope. Not just a hope, but a living hope. How come? Because of the resurrection. Hope is alive and well. In fact, Jeremiah would write of God back in Jeremiah chapter 29. God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you hope and a future. That is God's plan for you and me. To give you hope and a future. Is he a part of our life plan as well? Not just today, but every day. Knowing the difference that makes in our perspective on life when we embrace that hope that is alive and well. You see, Friday was the day hope died. But Sunday was the day that hope arose. Hope arose. And then finally, and this is perhaps as much an exciting thought about the resurrection as any. This is perhaps the one that we really appreciate more than any other. And that is, with the resurrection, death is defeated. Death is defeated. Listen to what Paul writes. Death has been swallowed up 
in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has no power over us. Death is defeated. Friday, man's total cruelty, Satan's Satan's desire to undermine everything that Jesus was trying to do was on full display as well. And we can be so grateful that Matthew 27, 50 was not the final words written about Jesus, that he gave up his spirit. Because Sunday was all about a celebration, God's power on full display, that hope was alive and well, and that death is defeated. So now we sing this song again, low in the grave he lay, but with the thought about Sunday coming in. Stephen, if you'll come up and lead that. Now, I think, I'm not a song leader, but I think it would be appropriate, honestly, to sing the first part that you sang before just like you sang it. But I think the chorus, and we're just going to sing one verse of the chorus, if that doesn't cause us, I don't know if it's going to make you stand up. I don't know if it's going to, what it's going to make you do. But I want you to sing that chorus thinking about Sunday. It's okay to think about Friday right here on this first part. But be thinking about the implications of Sunday as we sing this song. And I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. Because <clears throat> it will be awkward to not stand for the second part. Let's focus on the two movements of the song, the somber reality that death appears to have won, and then up from the grave, Jesus arose. And let's proclaim it. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the With a mighty triumph for his foes, he arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ Aren't you glad we can sing that chorus? Aren't you glad Matthew 27, 50 weren't the last words spoken about Jesus? Aren't you glad that that Sunday followed that awful Friday? That is what we celebrate today. It is the resurrection that gives the Christian faith credibility and it makes the gospel great news. Great news. In my early Christian journey, when I had a lot of stumbling to go through because I was just trying to nurture a faith that prior to that had not ever existed. 
And one of the books that I read that was so influential for me in my early walk was a book by the name of Chris, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, written in 1972. And this is one of the things he says, because he devotes about a third of his book, An Evidence That Demands a Verdict, to the resurrection. Because he realized, as we said earlier, that the truthfulness and the merit of Christianity rises and falls with the resurrection. I mean, seriously, think about it. If the scripture had said that Jesus fed 5,000, but it was really only 4,000, we really wouldn't have a problem with that. It's still a pretty amazing thing. But if the resurrection had not really happened, and that would have been easy to disprove, that would have been totally different. And Josh writes this. After more than 700 hours of studying the subject of the resurrection and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I've come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men. Or it is the most fantastic fact of history. To that we would say, amen. The most fantastic fact of history. And, and really his, 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 prep, his proposition to us in this book is this is what you have to do with Jesus. One of three things, and you cannot have all three, you have to decide yourself. Either Jesus was Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. C.S. Lewis, professor at Cambridge University, once an agnostic, here's what he wrote. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. In the early church, and maybe we'll do this next Easter if we remember. In fact, we could do it today, because with my memory, I could probably remember to the end of the day today. In the early church, believers greeted one another on Easter Day by saying, Christ is risen. To which the response would be, He is risen indeed. So let's do that. Your line is, He is risen indeed. Got it? Is that four words? Yeah, four words. I'm going to say the first part and then I want to hear your response. Christ is risen. Really? I don't think you really said that with meaning. Let's do that again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. There you go. That is awesome. That is the way they greeted each other on Easter Sunday. So here's the thought that I leave you with. Does our faith, does our faith reflect more the despair and anguish of that Friday or of the joy and hope of that Sunday. Believe me, it makes a difference. It'll make a difference with your family. It'll make a difference with your friends. It'll make a difference at school. It'll make a difference at work. 
It'll make a difference in your neighborhood. Am I reflecting an attitude that is buried on Friday or that has arisen on Sunday? We're going to see a brief video now. After this video, we're going to have the opportunity to commune with God, to commune with one another. Because in taking the Lord's Supper, it is not only an opportunity for us, as Jesus has asked us to do, remember his sacrifice. But Paul would also say, remember when you're taking this, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, which means you believe in the resurrection as well. So we're going to see this video, then Steve Smith will lead us in prayer. If you're visiting with us, just to let you know, we have the bread and the juice at these tables around the auditorium. You can come and pick those up, or if you'd like to get that for someone else and your family or friends to be there with them. But let's watch this video, let's pray together, and then let's celebrate the resurrection, the sacrifice on Friday because of the empty tomb on Sunday. these words. This is a very educated, schooled man who had such power. He had such a past and history to be proud of among Jewish people. But when he writes these words, you can tell what really has impacted his life. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Paul would say, I just want to know the power of the resurrection. Just think about the impact he had on the early church, carrying forward to us today the letters he wrote, the people he influenced, 
And he's saying, I just wanted to know the power of the resurrection. And this is how God used him. He could do the same with us. If we believe in the power of the resurrection, their influence will have no boundaries. Our ability to lead people to God, to a closer walk with him, cannot be undermined. And so we bring this message to a close with the words of Jesus. And his words hopefully impact your heart to say that if not today, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day, but I'm going to commit my life to him. I'm going to follow in his footsteps because I know that his footsteps not just lead to a cross and stop there. They led right up into the throne of God, into heaven itself. And so this is his promise for you. If you're subject to any need that you might have for prayers from us, with us, if you want to give your life to God today, confess that Jesus is the Son of God, be baptized, have your sins washed away, all that's possible because of the resurrection. And here's what Jesus says, and then we'll stand and sing. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's stand and sing.